Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Good morning. I'd like to um, introduce my message this morning by talking a little bit about a car seat. Uh, This was uh, an infant car seat back in the early, early 1970s. Um, And uh, I think we have a picture of that if you want to, well, it's not the same car seat, it's a similar car seat. So just uh, uh, truth in advertising here. So Ephraim, if you can go forward, uh, there we go. So the uh, car seat that's on your right um, is similar to the one that I'm uh, talking about today. Um, and the individual that had this car seat, um, we, we, we hadn't discovered safety yet back then. Um, and so, you know, we rode bikes without helmets and we would go down the highway sitting in the bed of a pickup truck and, and uh, do all kinds of things that uh, would get you arrested today. Um, but uh, we, we did that back in the early 1970s, and so this car seat uh, wasn't necessarily the safest car seat in the world. They were still in the uh, beginning stages of learning how to make car seats safe. Uh, the purpose of the car seat was primarily twofold. One thing is it was supposed to keep the child from crawling all over the car while you're driving, and uh, the other purpose was it was supposed to provide a little bit of entertainment for the child while you were driving, give them something to do. And uh, the person that had this car seat found it very entertaining. Uh, They used that steering wheel and they were sure that they were driving the car. They they took it very, very seriously. And uh, so their belief was that they kept us on the road through their diligent efforts with the steering wheel as we drove. And the reason I mentioned that this morning is uh, this passage that we're looking at the, in the book of Daniel today, which is Daniel chapter 10, uh, beginning with verse 1 through chapter 11:35, uh, helps remind us that the rulers of the world are kind of like that child in the car seat with the steering wheel. They have a steering wheel in their hand, and they think they are in control of history and they don't realize that it's really God that is driving the car and bringing about his purposes. And so they're entertained, uh, but uh, God's purposes are being accomplished. And so please open in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. Um, There's actually three chapters in Daniel's final vision. It's uh, chapter 10, 11, and 12. And as Pastor Jeremy and I talked about this particular portion of Scripture, we decided that I would cover the portion of Daniel's final vision that has already been fulfilled, and that Jeremy would talk about the portion of Daniel's final vision that is not yet fulfilled. And so, uh, with that in mind, in chapter 10, we can look at the circumstances in which Daniel received his final vision. And so, in Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, 
whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till three full weeks were fulfilled. And so we can notice in chapter 1 that Daniel's final vision comes in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And if you remember in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, that in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, he gave the people of Israel permission to return to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. And that process was very, very long and very, very difficult and very, very discouraging. And it's possible that Daniel heard about the difficulties that were being faced by the people that had returned to the land. And uh, that's perhaps why he was mourning and praying here in Daniel chapter 10. Well, God heard Daniel's prayers. And so verses 4 through 7 say, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. And so in response to Daniel's prayers, God sent him a messenger, and the appearance of the messenger was very glorious and awe-inspiring. And when that happened, Daniel's first response was not, praise the Lord, he's heard my prayers. Look in verses 8 and 9. It says, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. And so the vision that Daniel received, the answer to his prayer, was so awe-inspiring that he was totally incapacitated. He did a face plant, and there he is laying face down on the ground unconscious. And uh, that's how he starts out. Now the response of the messenger coming in answer to Daniel's prayer was delayed by spiritual conflict. And so in verses 10 to 14, it says, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words." But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. 
Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. And so we can see here that this messenger has come to tell Daniel about the future that's waiting the people of Israel and that his arrival was delayed by spiritual conflict in the heavenly realms. Verse 13 mentions the uh, prince of the kingdom of Persia and this is evidently a demonic being that is resisting God's plan for Persia. And um, we often get caught up in visible reality and we tend to think that the things that we can see are the only things that are real. And even not taking into account things like viruses or x-rays, we shouldn't be surprised to know that there's a spiritual realm that has a huge impact on the world that we see. And just as a demonic being resisted God's plan for the kingdom of Persia, we can be certain that there are also demonic beings that are resisting God's plan for our world today, resisting God's plan for the United States, resisting God's plan for Russia, resisting God's plan for England, resisting God's plan for Mozambique. Um, all the nations of the world, uh, there are demonic beings that are resisting God's plan for those nations. And so if you keep your finger in Daniel chapter 10, and look at Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And when we start to talk about spiritual warfare, it can sound kind of scary uh, because there's these powerful, invisible beings that are trying to influence us. Uh, the thing to remember is that 1 John 4, 4 tells us that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And so as we're talking about spiritual conflict, we're not talking about these spiritual beings that we need to be afraid of that are going to defeat us but we're talking about spiritual beings that God is defeating and has given us the privilege of joining in on the winning side. And so in the book of 1 Timothy, in chapter 2, I'd like to read verses 1 to 4. It says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so God invites us to join in spiritual war warfare uh, on his side, to go to him in prayer and seek his intervention in the world around us. But back in Daniel chapter 10, in spite of the comforting words that Daniel has received, he's still almost totally paralyzed. In verses 15 to 19 it says, 
When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And so the vision was so overwhelming that Daniel's recovery from his incapacitation came in stages. And so in verse 10, he was touched, and that gave him enough strength to get on his hands and knees, trembling, after previously having been flat on his face. And uh, verse 11, he's strengthened, and so then he's able to stand upright, trembling. And in verse 16, he's strengthened, and he's finally able to speak. And in verses 18 and 19, he is strengthened once again. He's given more strength, and he's finally ready to receive the vision that the messenger has come to share with him. And uh, then verses 20 and 21 tell us that the spiritual conflict that was mentioned in the early verses is going to continue, but that the outcome of the conflict is certain. And so it says, Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And so the demonic forces that are active in the kingdom of Persia and the kingdom of Greece are going to continue to resist God's plan for those nations. But God's plan is already written down in heaven in the scripture of truth. It's certain to be fulfilled, so certain that God can just write down this is what's going to happen ahead of time. And the messenger has come to reveal to Daniel what the outcome of the spiritual conflict is going to be. And so then we get into chapter 11 when he talks about the outcome of the spiritual conflict. And he's telling of coming events that are going to impact the Holy Land. And so in verses 1 or 2, he foretells the highlights of Medo-Persian rule. It says, Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the four shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. And so, verse 1 talks about the Medes uh, leading in the Medo-Persian Empire. And then by the time of this prophecy, the power of the Medo-Persian Empire had passed from the Medes to the Persians. And verse 2 then tells the rise of the Persian king Xerxes, 
who is going to attempt to invade Greece. Then verse 3 tells of the rise of Alexander the Great. It says, Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And then verse 4 tells about the division of Alexander the Great's kingdom. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others besides these. And Pastor Jeremy has referred to this in an earlier message. And uh, we have a PowerPoint slide of that. If you can bring the map of the division of Alexander's kingdom. Because when Alexander the Great was at the height of his power, he died suddenly, and his kingdom was broken up into four parts. And you can see the four parts on this map, in the green and in the kind of orange and the yellow and the purple. You can see the four divisions of Alexander the Great's kingdom. And chapters 5 to 35, or verses 5 to 35 then, and chapter 11, refer primarily to two parts of Alexander's divided kingdom. The parts referred to are called in the text the kingdoms of the south and the kingdom of the north. And the kingdom of the south, you can see there in purple, Ptolemy I, it was ruled by Ptolemy I Soter and his descendants, and it was centered on Egypt. And the kingdom of the north was ruled by Seleucius I Nicator and his descendants, and it was centered in Syria and Mesopotamia. And the reason these two kingdoms are particularly important is because the Holy Land is located between the two of them. There's an African proverb that says when elephants go to war, it is the grass that suffers. And in this particular case, uh, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids went to war repeatedly over the course of uh, 150 or so years, and the people in the Holy Land were the grass. They got trampled by the elephants. They were stuck in the middle. And so let's start out by reading verses 5 to 20 here in chapter 11. It says, Also the king of the south shall become strong, as well as one of his princes, and he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. And at the end of some years they shall join forces, for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of her authority. And neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her and with him who begot her and with him who strengthened her in those times. But from a branch of her roots one shall arise in his place who shall come with an army into the fortress of the king of the north and deal with them and prevail. And he shall also carry their gods captive to Egypt with their princess and their precious articles of silver and gold and he shall continue more years than the, than the king of the north. Also the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. 
However, his son shall stir up strife and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through. Then he shall return to his fortress and stir up strife. And the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hands of his enemy. When he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up, and he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. For the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former, and shall certainly come at the end of some years with a great army and much equipment. Now in those times many shall rise up against the king of the south. Also violent men of your people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mound and take a fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall not have no strength to resist. But he who comes against him shall do according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his power. He shall also set his face to enter with strength of his whole kingdom, and upright ones with him, thus he shall do. And he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it, but she shall not stand with him or before him. After this he shall turn his face to the coastlands, and shall take many. But a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end, and with the reproach removed he shall turn back on him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall, and not be found. And there shall be found there shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. Now there's a lot there, and every single person that's mentioned in chapters five through twenty corresponds with a person that came along in history and exactly fulfilled the prophecy that was given about him or her. And I thought about telling about each of these people in each fulfillment. Uh, there were two major problems with that. One is it's a long list, and it would take a long time. And the second problem is a lot of the names are hard to pronounce. Uh, Berenice, Kalinicus, Philopater kind of intimidating, so I chickened out. I'm going to give uh, one example instead. Uh, verse 6. It says, At the end of some years they shall join forces, for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her and with him who begot her, and with him who strengthened her in those times. So Berenice, the daughter of Ptolemy II Philadelphus of Egypt, was given in marriage to Antiochus II Theos of Syria in order to submit a treaty between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. But Antiochus's ex-wife, Laodice killed Berenice and Antiochus by poisoning 
And about the same time, Berenice's uh, father died, thus fulfilling the prophecy of verse 6. And as you work your way through the passage, each of the prophecies given in the passage is fulfilled in a similar manner. And if you would like more details about this, if uh, you like to see the hard-to-pronounce names and everything, um, the NASB Study Bible has an excellent summary. It goes through verse by verse, and it says, yeah, this is this person, and this is this person, and this is what happened to them, and it'll tell you. Uh, NIV Study Bible has a similar uh, presentation. A lot of study Bibles have a great presentation of exactly how each and every one of these prophecies uh, was fulfilled in the conflict that the Seleucids and the Ptolemies had against each other for many years. And if you want even more detail, uh, our church library has a commentary on Daniel by Leon Wood, uh, which is excellent and uh, gives you very, very clear outline of exactly what was going on here. And this fulfilled prophecy, as we read through this prophecy and we realize that God told Daniel exactly what was going to happen during this time period between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, it reminds us that God is on the throne. He is in control of history. He rules over the course of history, and his plan comes to pass. He knows the end from the beginning. Accurate prophecy then continues in verse 21 to 35. And these verses foretell or foretold the rise and reign of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the cruelest and most evil of the Seleucid kings. And so verses 21 to 35 say, And in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them plunder, spoil, and riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. But these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. While returning from his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, so he shall do damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus will come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices, 
and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it's still for the appointed time. And basically, Antiochus Epiphanes, the Seleucid, went to war against the Ptolemies of Egypt, and he had great success. And then the Romans came along on ships from Cyprus, and they told him that uh, he had to stop or Rome was going to intervene on behalf of the Ptolemies. And so he then retreated from the Ptolemies. He was very angry. He went into the Holy Land, and he made life miserable for the Jews. And I'd like to particularly focus on verse 31. It says, And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. And uh, I'm not going to go into detail about all that Antiochus Epiphanes did, but he fulfilled verse 31 by ending the sacrifices that were prescribed by God in the temple. And then he installed an altar there to the pagan god Zeus. And then he sacrificed a pig on that altar. And uh, what he did foreshadows the actions of the beast, the coming evil ruler, as prophesied in the book of Revelation, who is going to attempt to exalt himself as God. And in chapter 11, verse 36, we have a transition from prophesying about Antiochus Epiphanes to prophesying about the beast. And Pastor Jeremy is going to be talking about that next week as he concludes our study of the book of Daniel. Now as we think about this passage, I'd like to emphasize two points. The first thing is it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Just a vision of a messenger from God incapacitated Daniel even though he was a godly and holy and righteous man. Many people in the world around us either ignore God or treat him with contempt. They seem to think that God is insignificant and that they can put him in his place and tell him who is who and and what is what, and God's going to be shaking like a leaf at their words but it's not so someday every person is going to stand before God and they are going to have to give an account of themselves and so it's good for us to be prepared by that day by seeking refuge in Jesus Christ who is the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father except through him. Second point is that God is in control of history. Just as he very exactly 
fulfilled the prophecies about the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. So he is going to very exactly fulfill the prophecies that he's given that apply to us. And so those prophecies tell us that the future is going to be a rough ride, but that if we belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ, we are ultimately going to arrive safely at the glorious destination that he's preparing for us. And so do not be afraid. Uh, Things might not be pleasant at times, but the end is assured. We are safe in God's hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We do thank you that we are safe in your hands. That no matter what happens in history, no matter what happens in our day-to-day lives, you are still on the throne. And nothing takes you by surprise. You're going to bring your good purposes to pass. And so we commit ourselves to you. And we thank you for your kindness. And we thank you for your protection. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the redemption that you've provided through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.